0: the podcast of Odessa First Assembly. I'm so glad that you're joining us for the Seven Churches series. This series is about the seven churches and the book of Revelation. If you'd like more information about our church, you can find us at odessafirst.com or on any social media platform. I pray that you are strengthened and encouraged by today's message. We are talking about the seven churches in Revelation. And today we're beginning in Church Number Two, and that is um, uh, the Church of Smyrna. And so we're going to jump in, and we're just we're going to get started. We're, I know, like I said last week, you've you've longed for this series, you've longed to hear about the seven churches, and I, yeah, I know I'm saying that facetiously. It's okay, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about it anyway because I think the Lord has something to speak to us. And so last week we talked about Ephesus and about returning of doing the first things. And doing, returning to that with that awe and that zeal we had when we first got saved and returning to those things, having that awe of God, that passion, that zeal for the Lord. And I want to point out something that each of these churches that we look at, God does something very, it's just so awesome to me that he uses physical things of what's going on in the city to make a spiritual point. I mean, this is the same way that Jesus used parables in the New Testament, he he uses things in, in these seven churches that points out to something he wants to speak to them. And last week we talked about that love growing code and returning, the, you, you know, you've lost your first love is, is what Jesus says. And it's interesting to know that Ephesus was known as the city of love. And yet God used that illustration to say return to the first love, return to the love that matters. They were known as a city of love because of the goddess Diana and she was the goddess of love in the, in the Greek culture. And Jesus was saying, listen, return to me, return to your first love. And we see the same thing happening here with the church of Smyrna. And once again, I want to show that image of modern day Turkey. And then, is it working? Or are we? There we go. There's modern day Turkey. So this is where all the the seven churches are, and so that t- and then right here shows us in the first century where those churches were. We started in Ephesus, now we're moving up to Smyrna, and so to kind of give you that, remember last week we talked about who wrote the book of Revelation? It was John under the revelation of Jesus. It was written about 96 AD. Um, I'm not using CE, I'm sorry, I know, I still, I, I'm going to say it's the year of our Lord, not CE, but anyway. Um, who is it written to? It's written to these seven churches that we're talking about. So each pastor probably received this and stood up before their congregation and read this letter that was written by John. Why was it written? And these are the three things that we, I I, want to be repetitive this probably all seven weeks, but why, what, why was revelation written? Well, revelation, what actually means is, is uncovering something, opening something up, but there's for us as believers and for them in that time period, it was to tell us three things. Everything we look at, we're gonna look at through this filter. To give unshakable hope to the suffering Christians. They were being, we're going to talk more about that this morning, about the persecution that these Christians were under. But it was to give them an unshakable hope. Number two was to encourage unwavering holiness, that it was worth it to live for God. As Angela was praying and leading in worship, she, uh, she repeated that several times. It is worth it. Let me tell you, it is worth it to live for God. And the third thing is this, to give promises to us as we've been faithful. So to give unshakable hope, to encourage unwavering holiness, and to give promises. So let's read about the church of Smyrna. Right here in Revelations chapter two, beginning in verse eight. You can go to UVersion and click events, and our notes are listed there. You also got to fill in the blanks if you have your notebooks. It'll also be on the screen. Revelations chapter two, beginning in verse eight. And the angel of the Lord and the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and who came to life. What's interesting about that is Smyrna, it, it, they championed themselves as a city that was almost a ghost town but came back to life. And so here's once again Jesus saying, I'm the first and the last who died and came to life. I, and Look what he says, verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty but you're rich, and the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but a synagogue of Satan. I'm not going to park here, but just one, one of the things that this means, talking about these Jews who are not really Jews, as Jesus is saying, and that the synagogue of Satan, what it's talking about, this is talking about racism. This is talking about racism from the Jewish, the people who claim to be Jews versus the Christians and he, he, he references it to the calling in the And that's exactly what racism is. It's a synagogue of Satan. It, are you following me? It has no place in the church. It has no place in society. Verse 10, do not fear what you're about to suffer. So I, I just want to remind you. So John got this revelation. He sent these letters out. And so here's the pastor of Smyrna. He's with his congregation And he began, he's like, listen, guys, John, the John, John, the disciple, John, the apostle, John, the revelator, got a vision from Jesus and a message for our church. Would that get your attention? And then he goes on to say, do not fear what you're about to suffer. He's amen. Will you just feel all lovey already? Right? Do not fear what you're about to suffer. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That you may be tested. And look what it says. For ten days you'll have tribulation. But listen to what it says. Be faithful and then you're going to get out of prison. No, that's not what it says. It says be faithful unto death and I'll give you a crown of life. So in that day, what was happening in Smyrna was this: is that they were arresting Christians, and they were putting them into the prison, and they were torturing them for ten days. Then after ten days, they would kill them. That's what was taking place, and here and and, and Jesus is saying, "This is exactly what's going to happen. You're gonna the devil's coming after you. You're going to go to prison." And after 10 days, you're going to be martyred for your faith. How would that fly on American Christian TV right now? He who has an ear, let him hear. Let him, what the Spirit says, the church is the one who conquers, will not be hurt by the second death. I mean, you're like, is this really encouragement? I mean, what's what's happening here? Listen, you know, Smyrna, like Ephesus, it was a beautiful city and um they were uh, self-governing you know in the in the area they had theaters they had they had this this uh pathway through their city that was lined with false gods and one side was zeus and uh the other side was aphrodite and i mean there was all kinds of gods that list that were that lined that way and probably what what was really, really significant about Smyrna and the reason why persecution was so significant against believers is that Smyrna that they all these cities, all of these cities in Turkey, they like you know, they were like bidding for something and what they were bidding for was to be the place that was the center of emperor worship. Because I don't have time to go through everything, but what is happening, what we're seeing happen, is that the Caesars are starting to say, no, I'm God. And so they all put in for their bid, like the Olympics, they all put in for their bid to be the city that had the temple for the emperor. That they could have that emperor worship. And so all this is happening in other dimension and from 81 to 96 AD, it was required of them. And so, just like you see with Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Babylon, you're seeing it take place now in, in the modern time here that they were required to worship the emperor. And those who refused to worship the emperor was imprisoned with the death penalty. And that's why these Christians were being turned over to prison, tortured to say, renounce your faith, worship the emperor, and your life will be spared. But they refused to do it, and so they were martyred for their faith. While this is more, it was was kind of an act of political loyalty, but it was still, it, it was what was happening. There's a man, the pastor of the Smyrna Church was a man by the name of Polycarp. Polycarp was a disciple of John, the writer of the book. And so, I mean, think about that, you know. I mean, here is a spiritual son, in a sense, of John. He gets a letter from his mentor, and he's like, Guys, you got to hear this. And then, yeah, it was loaded with good news, right? Polycarp, he said, 86 years I've served Christ. We don't know of... That means he was 86 years old. We don't know if that means you know 86 since his point of salvation. But he says this. He was martyred in 156 A.D. 86 years I've served Christ and he has never done me wrong. He was martyred. He was killed for his faith. At the moment of his death, he says, Jesus has never done me wrong. He said, Jesus has never done me wrong. I mean, some of us stub our toe and are ready to give it all up. Right? How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? At that point, when he was going to be burned at the stake, he was preaching. And it's recorded, he said this, that he, was when he said this, that I, Christ has never forsaken me, 86 years I've served him, he's never done me wrong. He goes on to say, how can I blaspheme my king, my savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season and after a little while it's quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. As he was burned at the stake, he just kept preaching and kept preaching and kept preaching and wouldn't die. So they finally stabbed him with a spear. And that he's the one that says... Christ has never forsaken me. He's never done me wrong. So about Smyrna, so what was happening? Why? So listen, think about the. I, I want to lay just a little more foundation of of the culture of Smyrna. So yet they're a place of emperor worship, and if they didn't worship the emperor, then they were going to be thrown in prison. But there was more to it than that. That once a year they they had to go to the emperor's temple. And they had a sacrifice and they had a worship. And when they did that, they got like a kind of the golden ticket type of thing. And what that did, that was a passport that they could buy, sell, and trade. Before you did anything, you had to have this ticket. Before any kind of, you know, if you went to the grocery store to buy groceries, I, I don't know, whatever their grocery store was, I don't know what it was. But anyway, when they went to their market street and they were checking out, they had to present their ticket. If they didn't have a ticket, they weren't allowed to buy groceries. Are you following me? And so think about so this is what they are facing, what they're going through. And so when Jesus says, "I see you in your poverty, but you are rich." How, how are they rich? They were rich in the life of Christ. So many times we... why wow, I'm so far off my notes <laughs> Sometimes we're just like, you know, if I'm not two levels marvelous and, you know, I just got the blessings of the Lord, then, you know, God doesn't love me. Listen to me. God's love, when, when, when everything's going right in our life, it doesn't mean that God loves you more. When everything is going wrong in your life, it doesn't mean that God loves you less. Why? Because God is love. And regardless of if things are going awesome for me, or I'm a time of tribulation, it doesn't change who He is. God is still God, and God is still faithful. He's still faithful. I feel bad for Liz. Liz is probably trying her best she can to keep up with me translate. And so they had these trade guilds, and they had to have this ticket. So think about this. So here's the Christians in this city. They lost their cultural identity because of their commitment to Christ. They lost their means of living because of their commitment to Christ. They lost their wealth because of their commitment to Christ. They lost their acceptance by others because of their commitment to Jesus. They were experiencing bitter suffering with loss, without... Listen, this is the one church of the seven that Jesus did not have a rebuke for. So what does that tell us? They were living life right. There was no rebuke for them. And so there's no, there is, they're not living a sinful lifestyle. They're living it right. And yet they're struggling with all of these issues. Do you think maybe they struggled with, if God loved me so much, then why am I facing this? Quite possibly. But they stayed faithful. Though under the stress, and I mean there was... There was no hint in the church of Smyrna of bitterness, of complaining. There was no light at the end of their tunnel, and then Jesus gives them this wonderful word: "Oh, there's more coming. There's more coming." You know, I know I've shared this so many times, but as I think about this, I I feel like I've had that encounter with the Lord before, and you know, way back, of course, I was, you know, this last year, I've, I've, posed, I've talked about it a few weeks ago, about how God healed me of Crohn's disease, but when I was at my sickest, and, and I really thought it was the end of my life, about 12 years ago, a little, a little, chase, a, a, little a little chase, about four years old, came into my room, and I, mean, I was laying there, just really couldn't function, and he said, dad, what if you die? i just been, you know, just a little boy, and I said oh, chase dad's going to be fine don't worry about it but when he left the room i mean i was like do you hear do you, i mean cuz i i really believed that i i was i was drawing my life. i mean I, that the time was near i really did believe that and i started praying and i was like god i was like my kids are so young and my you know i mean we're in our you know early mid 30s at this point and i was like there's so much life to live my kids can't do without me are is this really My lot, is this really what life is going to be like for me? Is it really almost over? And the Lord spoke to me very clearly. I mean, just, I knew it was the voice of the Holy Spirit that said, if you die, I'm still God. You know, and when you're in that moment, you're like, thanks God. (laughs) That's not really the answer I'm looking for. I mean, can you imagine in the church of Smyrna, they hear these words? The devil's after you. You're going to be thrown into prison. You have 10 more days after that point, and then it's going to be your death. God's still God. God's still God. So he says, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. I know your slander. I know your tribulation. Listen. God hasn't forgotten about you. And I know some of you, some of us, have faced some unspeakable things. God hasn't left you. God hasn't left you. That tribulation, that poverty, that slander, listen... You're always going to contend with that, but know his word is true that he will never leave you nor forsake you. That when we are faithless, that God is faithful. The origin of persecution is from Satan, but life is found in Jesus. There's a passage of scripture, I want to remind you of, Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Since then we have great a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus our Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows every hurt you've been through. Jesus knows every struggle that you've been through. He knows every time that your bank account has gone negative. He knows every time somebody hasn't understood your choice to turn from the way you were living life and to live for the Lord. He knows the friends that have abandoned you because of your choice to serve him with all of your heart, soul, and mind. He knows everything that you've been tempted with. He knows what it is. He knows what it's like. But we also know that he is one that has conquered it all. And because he has conquered it all, he makes you more than a conqueror. Let us then draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we can find help in our time of need. Listen, you can come to him because he knows And so what is the benefits of suffering? I I promise it's going to get better, so just hold on. There's a benefit to suffering. Listen, we we have adopted, let, let me just say this really quickly, is that I believe that you can be blessed beyond measure. I believe that God can financially bless you. I believe that God can do miracles in your life and of healing and restoration and redemption. I, I, I believe all of that stuff, but if you live life for any amount of time, you realize that there are times the storms come. Hello? You realize that there's a stuff you go through, there's battles you face. And the reality is this, if you are in a place where you believe none of that can happen to you because you are a believer in Jesus, then when all of that stuff happens, you tend to lose focus on what matters, and that's Jesus. So what's the benefit of suffering? It develops trust. It develops trust. In 2 Corinthians 1, 9, it says, Indeed, we felt that we have received the sentence of death. I mean, have you ever gone through something in your life where you're like, that felt just like that right there? But that was to make us, everybody say make us, to rely, everybody say rely, make us rely not on who? Ourselves, but on God. When you go through the fire, when you go through the trial, when you go through the tribulation, it's to say you can't do it on your own. You don't have the strength on your own. You need one that is higher than you. You need one that is stronger than you. Don't trust in yourself, but trust in Him. Trust in Jesus. But... But make us rely on ourselves. But God, I love these last four. I really do. I, you know, maybe it's because of my sense of humor. But so I may, it may not have been written, you know, in a sense of humorous time, kind of way. Anyway, so. But God who raises the dead. It's like, you know what? <laughs> let, me, let me just put a nail right here and emphasize you can't do this thing on your own. It's God who raises the dead. It's God who can do this. It's God who's all-powerful. It's God who's omniscient. 1 Peter 4, 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Don't stop moving forward when it gets tough. Keep your hand on the wheel. Keep moving forward. It shifts something in your life when you go through difficult times that when you realize that there may be a lot you can't depend on, even yourself, but you can always depend on God. And that is trust. The second thing is, it develops character, it develops character. I love the passage in Romans 5, 3 through 5, and I want to look at this very quickly. Romans chapter 5, verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. (laughs) You know, I mean, I mean, yay, Lord, it's all going so bad. Thank you, you know. You know, it's like the same scripture in James. I mean, it kind of says the same thing. Rejoice in your trial, you know. It's not about necessarily saying yay, God, when bad stuff happens, but it's the result of the bad stuff when you stay focused on God what happens. Did you follow that? I don't know if I can say it again. That was for free. <laughs> the, one of my favorite quotes is from utmost from his highest, the, um, the devotional. And Oswald Chambers says this. He says, until... You look the deepest, darkest fact in the face, and it does not damage God's character, then you do not yet know God. Did you follow that? What it's saying is this, when you're going through it, the way you see God shouldn't change except for the better. Romans 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering, it has a purpose. This doesn't randomly happen to us, but it produces what? It produces endurance. It creates in you a stamina to live life. I'm going to say that again. It creates in you a stamina to live life. I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever been to the point of your life where you just wished it was over? If you get to that point, that endurance for life hasn't developed in you yet. But if you'll just trust God and know the difficult things you go through in life, it's going to produce in you endurance to live life. And endurance produces what? Character. It shapes you in the man and the woman of God that you need to be. And that character, what's the importance of having character? It's just not about, you know, character. I think the, the simple definition of what so many say is, you know, it's who you are when nobody's looking. And yet we need God to do that work in us. But there's a purpose also for that. That when you are who you're supposed to be in Christ, then you're always going to have a hope. And verse 5 gives us this promise, and hope does not put us to shame. I, I don't know if it's the NIV or the New King James, but one of them says that, and your hope will not be disappointed. Your hope will not put you to shame, as God has poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's given, who has been given to us. Matter of fact, in Hebrews 5.8, I know you don't have this in your notes, but that Jesus, this is, although he was a son talking about Jesus, you might want to sh- scribble this down. It says this, he learned obedience through what he suffered. develops character the next thing is this it deepens fellowship listen to me one of the the way the enemy will use the tool of the difficult things you face in life is to get you separated from the people of God and on your own right I mean we've all seen the documentaries on Discovery Channel what a lion does to beast, right I mean the devil is like a roaring lion right And so they look for that weak one, they look for that struggling one, and they get them running in circles and crazy so they can get that sick one or weak one separated from the rest of the pack so they can pounce and devour it. The enemy does the same thing. When we say things like, do not forsake the assembling of each other, it's not about just getting a number to look good on a report in a pew in a church. It's trying to protect you. Come on, that's really good preaching right now. It's to protect you. Because when we go through trials, we shouldn't be running away from the body, but into the body. You can't do it alone. And it is our dream, it's our passion here that we live life together, that we don't let anyone live life alone. But let me tell you something, it takes you to be a part of that as much as it does me. I can preach that and say that until I'm red in the face, but until we all live by it. I remember there was a lady one time that visited and, and uh, you know, <laughs> she said, uh, she said, I'm... I'm a, I'm a spiritual, discerning person. And the Lord has revealed to me that you're a very unfriendly church. Happened right up here on the front row. She said, you're a very unfriendly church. And I, I mean, my response is, well, you shouldn't walk around looking like a cactus. I, the, I'm just saying what you're thinking. I mean, if you see somebody that looks like a cactus, I mean, you know, your insurrection, I was like, oh, how are you doing? Because you know you're going to get poked. <laughs> it's a two way street. There was another time we had some people come in and, and they said the same thing. They said, man, we, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, they said, hey, let's go out to eat. And we had some, we knew them. And as a matter of fact, they planted here and served here before they moved. But, um, we went out to eat on We're in my I'll never forget it. And they're like, man, you know, you're, you're talking about how you just not a friendly church, but a church, but a family. And you know, that just really wasn't our experience. And I said, well, I said, here's the thing. I was like, the majority of when you came to service, the majority of who was there were really new attenders. And I was like, I'll, and he's like, oh, you know, whatever. He really didn't believe me. I was like, I'm going to show you next Sunday. And so the next Sunday, some of you may remember this. The next Sunday, I asked a question. I said, I just want to know in the room how many people have been coming here less than a month. And that morning, 60 people raised their hand. And it's like, maybe they thought you were unfriendly because they were a guest just like you. I mean, let, let's let's be realistic in how we are in our relationships. It takes both of us. It takes giving love. But we also need to learn to receive the love. The next thing is this, is it draws believers to the Lord. Listen, when you're going through it, it better get you closer to God. That's not the time to twist off and head to the bar. That's not the time to... The, the, the jump back in, what God's been trying to bring you out of. That's the time to say, all right, devil, you want to fight? I'm going after Jesus. All right, you, 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 all, this, all this junk is going to come towards me, I'm just going to get lost in Jesus. I'm just going to depend on him. I'm just going to be found in Him. I'm just going to let Him be my strong tower. I'm going to let Him be my shelter. I'm going to let Him be my protection. I'm going to let Him cover me with His blood. I'm going to get more into Jesus. I'm going to abide in Him, John 15 says. If we abide in Him, then what? We bear much fruit, but apart from Him, we can do nothing. The last thing is this. It prepares us for heaven. That prepares us for heaven. You, you know that you're, you're an alien here, right? Scripture says we're strangers. This is not our final resting place. The world will never fully satisfy your desires. We can be confident that as we suffer, even as Jesus did, here's the promise, we'll be glorified as Jesus is. Suffering, it really strips away that facade of self-everything, self-righteousness, that the strength is within us on our own, it, that suffering, it exposes so many times those roots of sin in our life, and what, happened, what should happen through our life as we live life is to, is to have a shifting in the way that we see it's... We're not home yet. We're not home yet. It's a little bit of a passage, and we're coming in for the landing, I promise. But 2 Corinthians 4, it's, uh, and I'm reading out of the message. That's really not, it has been a little more late. It's really not my go-to. I see it more of as a commentary than a translation. But anyway, that's all. But as I read this in the message, I thought that's just, a, that's just a really good way to state that passage. So we're not giving up. Do you say Amen. We're not giving up. How could we? Though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside, God is making new life. And not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. The hard times, they're small potatoes compared to the coming good times. The lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow. But the things we can't see now will last forever. Beginning in 1 Corinthians 5.1, for instance... We know, we know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, they'll be replaced by the resurrection bodies in heaven. God made, not handmade. We'll never have to relocate our tents again. Sometimes we can hardly wait to move, and so we cry out in frustration compared to what's coming. You understand what he said right there? Sometimes you're in the middle of the trial, the tribulation, the difficulty, and we're crying out to God. Let me escape this. Get me out of this. And he says, crying out in frustration, but compared to what's coming, the living conditions around here seem like a stopover and an unfurnished shack. We are tired of it. We've been given a glimpse of the real thing of our true home, our resurrection bodies. That's a good verse. That's a good passage. So listen, Leonard Ravenhill, he said that he's one of my heroes of the faith. He's passed away, but he said this, this life is a dressing room for eternity. That is it. All this life is is getting us ready for eternity. At the end of Paul's life, Mary, I want to ask you to stand this morning if you would. At the end of Paul's life, he wrote some. He wrote a lot of epistles, a lot of letters in Scripture. But one was in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He knew really his martyrdom was just around the corner. He's old in age. But he said that I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. joining us for our podcast. Again, if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at odessafirst.com or on any social media platform. I hope that you are encouraged through today's message and that you'll join us again.